Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. First off, thank you so much for checking out the episode here, making your way to the series. Uh, I hope you enjoy what you hear enough that you'll actually hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all of the interviews that we put out because it's three a week, a brand new interview every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's a lot of information that you could be keeping up with. A great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and just know what's happening in the music world. And of course, you can find us at all the major hotspots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Acast, and even YouTube, where you'll find the video version that we recorded over Zoom of this upcoming interview right here. I'm Kyle Merritt. Today, my guest, Thurston Moore. Yes, one of the co-founders of Sonic Youth is back with a brand new solo record called By the Fire. We're going to get into how this kind of showcases the many sides of him, uh, what you might call the pop side of Thurston Moore, as well as the experimental. A lot of albums, he kind of separates that, but you get the full picture with uh, By the Fire. Uh, he'll tell us about being inspired by the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street album and the replacements, uh, as well as working with pop producer Paul Epworth. That's maybe one of the most surprising things about this record. Paul's worked with everybody from Adele and well, just plenty in the pop world anyway, so not what you would think of when you're 
thinking of, uh, you know, one of the guys from Sonic Youth. Uh, he'll get into those classic rock moments that we hear and hear and messing around with traditional sounds, as well as playing to his past. If you're a Sonic Youth fan, you're going to hear some uh, some spots in here that's going to remind you of maybe some of your favorite moments from the catalog. Uh, enlightenment, that also plays a big part in the lyrics, and he'll talk about how all art is in a way political. And being part of a community of voices releasing music right now that re- includes uh, like Idols uh, and Bob Mould, that does get into the political side of things, uh, and we'll talk about voting uh, for just a little bit. And then beyond this record, he's working on some other stuff. One of those includes uh, a brand new book, his book, the book of uh, of his beginnings, and, and his, his musical beginnings anyway, uh, called Sonic Life. So I want to hear the details on that as well. So let's get into this and discuss this record called By the Fire. It's Kyle Meredith with Thurston Moore. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> I want to throw you the compliments uh, right at the top because uh, By the Fire is an incredible record. There is not one well, moment on here that I don't love. Fantastic. Oh, that's so good to hear. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. There's a lot going. I feel like this is a record where maybe you're allowing yourself, whether you do that or not, always other times anyways but it seems like you're allowing showing all of your sides all in one record like it's not yeah. just maybe the experimental record or the noise record or the pop record or whatever right. but it's all there was that part of the plan or is that coincidence it you know the record was taken from um a few different sessions that happened in the last uh, couple of years last year or so um so it's not um it's not a record where it's a singular session it has that focus that a lot of records will have um uh, usually, where it's one studio, it's one it's one session of, of material that that the musicians are are performing and and releasing, um, which is usually how I work. And it's it, it's it's um, Sonic Youth worked mostly like that. Um, for this record, it was it was it was a little different, um, and I was somewhat informed and intrigued by Exile on Main Street, you know, the Rolling Stones record from the early '70s, which I remember buying as a kid when it came out, and always thinking that record had a very sort of singular uh, kind of vocabulary to it. It was like of its time, that record. I remember the critics really trounced on it when it came out. Uh, it was this double album and with this weird black and white sleeve of like all these different images from uh, through history. And, and, the, and the music was rather messy and all over the place. But it, it, for me, it sounded like it, it, it came from one great mess. Mm-hmm. And, and it, uh, I was surprised to hear an interview with, with Mick Jagger when they re-released the record and he did a, he did a bit of a um, electronic press kit of sorts. And he, uh, he said, actually the record uh, was a, was a bit of a pastiche. Uh, he took some tracks that fell by the wayside during the sticky fingers sessions. Uh, and then there's some, some stuff they did in, 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 in their uh, infamous um, uh, French studio, the mobile recording uh, situation they had there. Um, and then there were some other spurious pieces and he sort of, Jagger sort of put this record together. It was this double album that just sort of flowed the way it flowed. And it made me think about like, oh, well, so that, that's why that record had such a, it had a bit of a strange dynamic in a way, you know, in, in the way it was sequenced. And, and then I started thinking about, there's this record by The Replacements uh, called Let It Be. I think it was in the late 80s, uh, early 90s. And that record also, I remember specifically hearing that it had come from a few different sessions that the band had done around Minneapolis. And I really love that dynamic of that record because you could hear the production values sort of shift from song to song, and it kind of gave the record a bit of a a bit of a reckless quality. But each song was kind of a was a, a bit of a nugget, and um, that really that really impressed me. So I was sort of thinking, and 
along those lines when I was making this record. I probably had enough material for like a, a, from one session to make a pretty solid single album. But I wanted I wanted to um, really, like you said, I wanted it to be a bit of a wider story, a, a bigger story than just like this one time in the studio. Because so much has happened in the last uh, year and a half leading into like where we are now, which is like it's such a, it's such a chaotic world right now. Not that it's never has been chaotic, but now it's especially uh, kind of anxious and, and, uh, and it's more of a shared kind of vibe that we have together. Everybody's sort of experiencing their own personal experience in isolation and, and then having this communication that we use through technology to sort of stay connected um, while we're kind of being quarantined from each other. That's something I, none of us have really ever experienced. Right. And that kind of feeling is really, it's big. And I wanted, so I wanted this record to be slightly bigger and have a story that, uh, uh, that, that wasn't as, didn't have that focus. I wanted it to be multi-focused. So, I mean, that, that was kind of the idea is like to have a, a record like this. So I took, I took songs from about three different sessions and I pretty much sequenced it with the songs that I thought would work with a narrative that I thought was, something I wanted to share. And so it starts out kind of with these sonic rock tunes to some degree. And it gets a little more contemplative with these pieces of music I just recorded myself uh, in a studio in France. And those first tunes I recorded here in a small studio in London. And then there's this larger piece of music that I had recorded during the rock and roll consciousness sessions from a couple of years ago at this beautiful studio in London called uh, The Church, which uh, was engineered in and uh, produced by Paul Epworth, who is uh, a producer of note, as we know, with Adele and, and Florence and the Machine. And, um, and then there was this other material I, I did at a more uh, funkier place here in London called uh, Total Refreshment Center, which is a, a fantastic smaller studio that I, I like using. So it had these different production qualities. And I, and I sequenced the record like that, and it sort of ends with this, uh, what, the only instrumental on the record, which is this, this guitar piece that's a pattern piece that kind of just continues to get more and more open and heavy, and then it sort of dissipates into this kind of um, harmonic, mellifluous kind of thing, and it just goes away. So I wanted the record to be this kind of story that sort of had some kind of hope at the end, and putting something out there that was had a good energy because there's so much, there's so much whack energy <laughs> out in the air right now that I just like, I think that's really, that was the political move. Let's put it that way. It's funny. Your answer right there is like the overture of this interview because there's so oh, okay. many parts of that. It, feel, free to, feel free to cut me off anytime. Not you know. necessary. Not <laughs> necessary because you hit on so many points that I find really important in this one. And I'm, I'm just going to, sort of randomly choose one here because first off, hearing that you're working with Paul Epworth, you know, that can be a little surprising to some people until you realize that there have sort of been those moments throughout your career. Uh, I don't know if this was actually part of those, but one of the first surprising moments to me when I was listening to this is when you get into to Cantaloupe and, and you're rocking there and suddenly like a classic rock guitar solo emerges. Oh, yeah. Which is not, not something me. I expected at, at That's not me, though. <laughs> yeah. That's James Sedwards, the guitar player I play with here. Yeah. He's this, he's this incredible shredder. Um, but his favorite guitar players are, are, are Jimmy Page and Lydia Lunch. And his favorite bands are, yeah, Zeppelin, 
Sonic Youth and The Fall. You know, so he uh, he has this really kind of um, way open kind of head, uh, and he's he's this high technique guitar player, and he and I kind of undervalue him. He plays in unison with these weird tuning songs I have, and I let I let him stretch out a bit, but you know, it's like all I have to do is say, James, can you go in and maybe put down a lead on this section here? I think it'd be really good with some kind of other lead. And he just, he did that in one take, wow. you know, and I, it was one of those things where the room went still. I was like, what? Like, what, who are you? Like, <laughs> where do you come from? He's great. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's interesting. Like, again, like, do you think there was ever a point in your career where you would have ran from that though? Like having that sort of a traditional <laughs> solo in the middle of one of your songs? Cause again, it works. Know. I love it. Yeah, it does work. And I've always loved that. I've always loved really like super tasty, juicy, hot rock and roll playing. And Sonic Youth never really incorporated that so much. I mean, we alluded to it because I think we, we of course love that kind of music, but we didn't play, we didn't play like that. We weren't, we're, none of us were really brought up playing like that. I think Lee was the most sort of like, had the most sort of high technique kind of skill base um in, the, in in sonic youth as far as that was concerned and then steve shelley of course as well when he comes into the group you know as a drummer he he had the skills to pay the bills so it was sort of um that was that was that was that was what the voice of sonic youth was we were we weren't ever trying to sort of um replicate those kind of uh those kind of traditional motifs so much in our music in fact yeah we we would run for them or you would really want to sort of um uh make mincemeat out of them or do something else with them. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I remember Lee putting down a really beautiful uh, guitar line on a song, like in the nineties on, on one of our records. And it was just like, I remember we were a uh, hair on the back of your neck standing up and it was, and it was, it was just like, God, that was such a wonderful Neil Youngish kind of thing you just did, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't slavish to like being Neil Young at all, but I was completely informed by it. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of what we were all about at that time. And, you know, uh, I don't think, I mean, James can sort of like lay down a lead like that and it sounds like him, you know, but you can hear it and you're just like, that is rock. That's rock and roll. It is rock and for me, for me coming into playing music, you know, as a teenager coming into New York in the seventies and, you know, there was two, there was two factors that were happening that were happening at the same time. And symbiosis and it was like this real sort of rock and roll purity that you were hearing from bands like the heartbreakers you know or even patty smith's group it was a you know like a rock and roll band they're like a, in a bar with like this really amazing singer it was just from somewhere else you know and the ramones just like loving to be there's a rock and roll band playing like four chords you know it's just this really streamlined thing really minimal you know and it was sort of like it was it was happening at the same time as all this other more sort of experimental ideas that were coming out of a band like say talking heads or even something as radical as a band like suicide so you would have like the dead boys playing like this really straight up stooges rock and roll on the same bill as like teenage jesus and the jerks which was just like it was as if this band picked up their instruments that morning and sort of created a band just by slamming on you know and it was and it was great so those two things really were like what what it was all about for people like me coming into New York is like wanting to sort of have that incorporation, that unit, that, that unified idea of like, like pure rock and roll traditional ideas and then experimentation, like mm -hmm. real, just like liberation to an, an experimentation. And that was what, that's been the, the format of everything I've always done through Sonic Youth to now is like having that, that, that forum, that context of a traditional rock and roll band, two guitars, bass, drums, vocals, and then, bringing in all this 
any kind of experimentation that you you want into that group without getting rid of the guitars. I mean, you can experiment with the guitars and do all this. That's the easiest thing, sticking the drumsticks and the screwdrivers under the strings. That's really easy. Anybody can do it. Um, but to do it in a way that sort of is creating a equal value to rock and roll and pure experimentation is really, that's, that's the, that's kind of the work. And that's kind of the, that's what I still am feel like I'm in apprenticeship with, you know, like I never feel like I've finished investigating this, you know? So it, it like this record is just completely, if it's specific to anything, it's that continued investigation to these different ideas. But at the same time, and I'll kind of flip, you know, the, the question here, you know, what you would have ran away from those days versus these days. Like now you've got basically 40 years, I guess, of, of catalog behind you of songs that you've written. And like there are moments on here that because of you're the songwriter and you were a songwriter in Sonic Youth that I'm going to hear, oh, that kind of reminds me of these moments. Oh, yeah. You know, like Hashish right from the beginning, I was thinking, what is that? Is that a little bit of Murray Avenue in there? Is that a little bit of Daydream Nation in there? Like well, A lot of people said that. They were like, oh, it sounds like a Sunday from Sonic Youth or something. Yeah. Like, do you and hear I was like, those of course moments? it does. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was going to say. Do you hear those moments and you're like, well, as you're riding them, go like, oh, yeah, that's, that's there. I've, I, I've, I've yeah. sort of been here before. Yeah, those are motifs. I feel like that's, that's my language, my tongue. I like, you know, I like recognizable music. You know, the whole thing of like oh, when people were like, oh, reggae music, it all sounds the same. Or country and Western, it all sounds the same. But yeah, that's why I like it. I like, I like music that sort of has a shared language within its culture, within, you know, within its, its genre. It's like a community of people just sort of like exchanging this kind of these, these variables of like this one idea. I, I think that's really strong. I, I love that. I loved hardcore, like early 80s hardcore, where it was like this, this really formula that sort of happened with this, uh, you know, this kind of thrash and skank kind of thing and these like these like one minute songs and where the lyrics were just like, you know, the emotions on the sleeves of these like these, these primarily young men, you know, like 18 year olds. Um, and they were very, you know, really serious and, and thinking about the ethics of their life, you know, and, and, and what the expectations are in society for, you know, uh, in, in like Reagan's America at the time, you know. I, I, I love that because they all sounded, they did all sound the same, but I, I love that because there was like these, these, these variations in the, in the, in the, in the, in, in this one shout that right. I thought, well, I just love that. And so to me, I, um, I'm always sort of thinking about the music that intrigues me, informs me, whatever. And I'm not, I, I, I never wanted to be experimental, experimental just for the sake of being experimental. I like challenging myself um and I, start, I think there's i i do that but i do sort of like um i like the recon recognizability factor that you will hear in anything and when you hear lou reed's voice you know it's like why why do you sing the same on every song <laughs> because he's lou reed <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would ever say that, you know, all of your stuff sounds like, obviously it, it, it doesn't. I think that's one of the things I've appreciated about your songwriting through the years is, is that there is an experimental, like you're going to open me up and, and your, your music has, it's opened me up to so many different sounds that, you know, as, as a kid who grew up in rural Kentucky that I would not have been aware of beforehand, but yet... I can sort of almost count on a hook, even if it's not a chorus rolling around at some point, you know, something to grab onto. And I'll say that even for the instrumentals, like, do you, when you're making instrumentals, do you have an image in mind going into those or, or is, does an, in, does an image come later? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, 
I, I, when I compose pieces like that, it really is just um, sitting down in a room on a couch with a guitar and just sort of really just allowing myself just to be completely free and open and just start creating. Sometimes it, something starts happening, sometimes it doesn't. And if I find something that there's, will start happening, I'll like, I'll reach for my mobile device and I'll re- try to record it with one hand and play with the other. Because I'm not a, I don't really have like a recording setup. I'm not like a tech geek at all. I don't have anything. And um, I wish I used to have a little Radio Shack cassette player and I would just like <laughs> hit that. I don't even have that anymore. Um, so I try to, I, you know, but I try to, um, I do realize like when something's working and I, and I try to focus on it and I come back to it and I'll spend either all of one hour doing it or I'll spend like a month doing it. You know, it's just, it's, it, it, there's no, there's no, there's no set way. And, you know, songwriting for me is just, it's really, it, it, it's a very sort of metaphysic thing. It's a, it's, 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 it, it, it's something that happens that's due to almost every aspect in, in your, in the moment, you know, the environment, uh, your own sort of emotional world, um, uh, anything that can be happening, you know, uh, in the cosmos, you know, it's just like, um, I don't question it, you know? So I, um, I, you know, Keith Richards talks about it in his book life, which I thought was, so one thing that really stuck with me in that book, and there's a few things that stuck with me in the book, but that he does talk about songwriting in the book that I've never really read in any other music book that talks about the process of songwriting. And he just sort of talks about like, it can happen in, in, in five seconds or it, it takes like, you know, five years to get this one riff together. And he says, it's just like it, it, I find like sometimes if I'm out and about and I come back into where I live and I sit down, I pick up the guitar. And the first thing I do is like, the, it's, it's like, there it is. And I try to stop and capture that. Um, if I'm sort of just ambling around the house all day and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll sort of play guitar. And, and it, it's just like, there's nothing there. Um, it really has a lot to do with energy, you know, and it's like this kind of metaphysic energy that's sort of, um, in your in, in your life i don't think there's any real sort of uh one contested way of of, of songwriting that anybody can sort of uh analyze that i know of unless it's unless you're just a technician who's a you know right right com- computer songwriting i don't know well I, i'll bring it back around to um really won the title because i do want to hear about you know how this all does talk about the moment that we're in it's it's a playful title obviously by the fire is the communal thing as we're all sitting around telling our stories i've heard you kind of explain it this way and also i'm standing beside a very big fire right here in the united states alone as is happening all all over the world you've called this nine songs of enlightenment you even used the word hope earlier uh, in the way the record kind of sums up but what is the enlightenment? Like, how does that all speak together within that idea right there? All, all the songs. I wanted to, the record to sort of be, um, I wanted it to be this evocative story that was personal to my own sort of um, welfare. Um, but I didn't, you know, I certainly, it, it's not a, um, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a strict narrative. It's not a, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it, it's not a rock opera. I, uh, for me, you know, for me, it's sort of putting work out there that um, for any reason, uh, right now, especially, I think it's it's always um, it, it's intrinsically a, a, a political move. You know, I, I, I you know I find um, anybody who uh, who works with creative impulse and uh, as a musician or a visual artist or filmmaker and um, and, you, and you, if you're putting work out there as as an exchange as a social exchange, 
it's it's inherently uh, political. It's a political move. And so I find that's why I always find making records, being in a band, um, to be completely something that you need to have a modicum of responsibility uh, in, 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 in that exchange. Um, it's not something I ever thought about or, or articulated in, in my younger years. I think now that I'm in my early 60s, I, I do think about this and I sort of see it for what it is. And, and uh, more so that you have as an artist a responsibility to sort of offer something uh, that is about the dignity of, of exchange people are buying your music maybe they're not but it's still it, it's but still it, it still it, it is this it, it's a public exchange it's a social engagement and so i that realization for me more so than ever um puts me into this place it's like there's so much toxic noise in in the world right now with this the encroachment of totalitarianism that that you, that, that you see like uh, happening in in the usa and to some degree in other countries in england and to, to counter it with anything that sort of is about at least benign intellect, you know, or benign create, create, creativity is all in good measure. I mean, I, you know, for me, um, I think of my music as being music that is coming into the, in, 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 into the social system as something that is progressive-minded. Um, it has sort of a progressive consciousness. And it's, it's, it's first and foremost, it's about harmony. It's about the heart, you know, it's, it's about recognizing that most people that you interact with in the world are desirous of, 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 of harmonious coexistence and an and understanding of, of the, the true nature of migration. I mean, people always will have and always will be migrating as nature migrates. And I always think about that. It's just like, you, you don't stop that. You, you, you realize it and you understand it and you work with it. You don't arrest it. And so, uh, which is what is definitely going on right now in, 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 in um, the culture. And it's creating uh, nothing but uh, discord and animosity and division, and as, we, as we've been seeing, and, um, and ultimately violence. And, you know, and violence is like the worst uh, product of, 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 of any kind of situation. But that's all you're seeing right now. And so for me, it's like I was really happy that this record was coming out at this time, I really wanted to come out as soon as possible. And I was happy to see it come out at the same time as like Public Enemy's new record and Bob Mould's new record. And there's a band here in England that everybody finds a lot of good energy with called The Idols and they have a new record out. And so that community for me was really important. And that community of voices, different voices together coming out at a time when there's all this really sort of toxic voices coming out all the time in the media, um, you know, from these kind of crime bosses that we're dealing with. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, and I find, you know, most people I sort of deal with are always trying to give voice to those progressive voices that are out there. I already sent my vote in from, from overseas, you know, and my vote was all about like wanting to give voices at the table. Mm -hmm. So I know that my vote is going for the faction that I think will give voice to progressive voices that appeal to me, you know, those, the Ilhan Omars and the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes and the Ayanna Presleys and the Bernie Sanders of America. It was like, who will let them through their front door? I think, well, I'm going to vote for this faction that may possibly do that more than the other. Right. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you all have been a part of that conversation. I say you all, of course, uh, meaning Sonic Youth too, for 
you know, the entirety of your career back, back when we were dealing with the similar things during the Reagan era, you know, and, and, and while we were dealing with similar things in the 90s and in the 2000s and in the 2010s, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's the, if, if it looks like the conversation has changed for you, but I appreciate that you all have, and, and you have always been on the front line. Well, it's always been activist. I mean, I think we've always been activist conscious. I mean, you know, it, it has changed because it's like, it's not, it's not, it used to be about, it used to be about sort of dealing with the cycles of, 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 of political representation. I mean, you know, you could, you know, whatever you, know, you thought Reagan represented it or whatever Nixon represented or whatever the Bush family represented that was not in accord with like how you uh, uh, thought like um, civic, civic services should be run. And so you voted more for these, more f maybe for like you know the the democratic ticket of you know of of, of Obama and Carter and mm -hmm. you know it, so it would be these cycles that would sort of like swing you know through the years and you go through and you go through enough decades you sort of see that historical swing and you try to explain to younger people your children is like we've gone through these things we'll you know we'll come out the other end we'll be okay we act, we went through like you know, our parents went through World War II, for God's sakes, you know, they, we've, they, we survive, we come through. It's quite different now because you're not really dealing with, with a political structure anymore. You're dealing, with a, you're dealing with what was once a political structure that has been hijacked, uh, for the most part, by uh, something that's extremely uh, threatening and, and criminal. So to sort of have, you know, a situation where you, you have um, like a racist landlord running the country, right. Right. <laughs> that's quite different. And, you know, and then the sort of the, the and not recognizing or uh, uh, allowing any uh, uh, debate over what is obviously uh, a global threat of just like the earth, the health of the planet. Mm. You know, and that's something that we've always, I remember dealing with as a, as a child with like the ecology movement, you know, it was just like, that was very, you know, in a way that was a quaint kind of thing, but it was like, it was always there, but now it's, it's um, knocking at the front door big time. Obviously. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how it isn't where you are in, in Louisville. I was uh, in a house that got flooded two times in five years, three times yeah. in five years, you know, and, and, and it was supposed to be once every 10 to 20 years. I mean, it's, it's happening here. It's happening exactly. everywhere. And, and I echo you because what was frustrating is it really did seem like once Obama got going that we were starting to move in a, a faster positive direction that just the rug is now yanked. And yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it is. Everywhere. So yeah. are you friends with Bob Nastanovich? I don't know, Bob. No, I, uh, I, I know the legend dude. of Bob and, you know, and everything <laughs> of, of here. Um, but I'd never met him. I know about the Derby parties and okay. everything, you know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. I uh, yeah, I was just talking about that uh, uh, recently <laughs> with Malcolmus, uh, who I had on the show. So uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with, with, yeah, with Malcolmus, yeah. Because when we think Louisville, we think Bob. Yeah, yeah. Now um, we think of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll quickly ask because I know you got a couple things coming up uh, that you've kind of hinted at. Uh, the book Sonic Life. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know about that. I mean, yeah. I, I I have been sort of. Uh, uh, talking about it. I wasn't quite sure how much that information is in the, is in the, there was in a recent interview that you mentioned that you were working on oh, the yeah, book yeah. and it would might be out the, maybe just sometime after you know, all this. With all this downtime, I was supposed to tour all summer. I had a lot, you know, and I, I tour and travel all the time. I have since like the early eighties and it's like, it's always been nonstop. And, um, which it's just, you know, that's, that's the work. And so the, that work is, you know, for, for most musicians, touring is, is their primary revenue. 
um, more so than any any record sales, you know, unless you're kind of like some upper echelon, high profile, million selling art, artist. Um, it's the the work you do as as a touring artist is where you you can sort of pay the rent, um, and that's just not happening for anybody right now. It's, it's completely worrisome. It's curious to see sort of how people are sort of utilizing Bandcamp more and trying to sort of find ways of just sort of creating uh, digital and physical music and product that they can sell and keeping um, trying to keeping attention on that. And I think that's been pretty healthy in its own way, but it doesn't, it doesn't really fulfill um, sort of the, that daily measure for people um, who, who work in music. So it's, I, I think we all have know how to, or we can learn to, to adjust to things, you know, I just, I, I'm not quite sure um, how that's going to pan out. What I've been doing is besides just being in the same kind of contemplative single space um, as most of us are, I've really been, f uh, I, I started focusing on a project that I've been thinking about for years and years and years, which is like to essay and write about music in the, in, in the sense of, of the documentation of music that, in, that informs somebody to actually um, want to become a musician make that the vocation for your life like what is that like what leads you into that and it's not just sort of like oh, i want to be a big rock and roll star after seeing like you know the rolling stones on ed sullivan or something like that i mean i think people do have those dreams but nobody really sort of can do that you because you, you'll just you'll perish so it's like what is it really that kind of leads somebody to sort of like actually walk into that zone of just like i'm going to do this and for me it was all about it was all about being informed by work in the documents and what does that work? And so I wanted to write at length about, let's say like the very first Patti Smith seven inch, like, Hey Joe, Piss Factory that, that she, that Lenny Kay released on Murr records and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, Robert Maplethorpe paid for it. And, and there's a lot of story there, you know? And so I, I, I want to write at length about like what that experience was of receiving that totem at the time in 1974, 75, like as, as I was maybe 14, 15 or whatever and sending away for that recording after seeing it uh, written about in, in like rock scene or cream or, 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 or a New York um, music magazine. And knowing that it was a rock writer, cause Patti Smith was a, was a byline was a, I used to see her name as a, as a rock writer and all lowercase and her writing was really uh, quite distinct from everybody else's. And it was this really kind of prosaic and kind of like um, wild uh, pieces of literature. And at that time for me, rock writers, the journalists, they were as significant as the artists they were writing about. I mean, their, their voices had the same energy um, as Lester Bangs' voice was has had as significant an energy as the Captain Beefheart's voice that he was writing about, or Iggy Stooges. And so, you know, if Lester Bangs had made a record in 1973 or 74, I would have been on top of that thing, you know, because it's like I wanted to hear more from this person as much as I wanted to hear more from Iggy. So for this person, Patti Smith, to actually make a record produced by this other rock writer, Lenny Kay, who was also fascinating, that needed to be heard. And I remember listening to it, and it was completely and utterly jarring it comes shocking and, and wonderful and, and just uh, otherworldly because it was raw and minimal and it was super economical like they didn't spend that much money making this record and it was in this little sleeve that she had it was just a white paper sleeve no picture and that she had just sort of signed her name on top of and at that time the music culture was primarily pretty grandiose it was definitely 
Yes, and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and you know, even Almond Brothers Band or whatever. It was like it was this kind of very um, sort of grandiose music that was happening, and to hear this kind of this very urban uh, recitation on this record with Tom Verlaine just sort of scratching this guitar out, and these these two these two little miniatures, that was completely remarkable. And so I wanted to write about like what that meant at that time period for like a teenager to hear and knowing that he had some kind of access to the city where that record came from and to actually, and then all the other documents that lead you to actually locating that city and what that city was at the time, you know, just the geography of it and the environment of it. And then all the literature and uh, the, 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 the magazines, the writers, the different, all that, that cavalcade of records that started happening coming out of that, right? The first Ramones album, Pistols record, everything, all, and then all these other smaller records that are happening everywhere, you know, the the, the no wave records on less and less. So I wanted to, I wanted to write a a bit of a psychogeography that was talking about these documents as as the things that inform music and the musicians making it at that time in that time period and what it meant personally to me to interact with it, engage with it, and then and then sort of meeting people in New York that leads to the formation of this band in 1980, 81, Sonic Youth. And then it sort of just becomes, yeah, tour, 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 record, record, record. And it's just boring as hell because I, I don't really want to write about that. But I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. I just want, I really want to write about like what leads up into that, that kind of discovery. So that's what Sonic Life is about. And that's, I'm just writing it. I don't have, you know, I'll, I'll probably publish it in a year or so. I don't know. It sounds like a great story. That's exactly what I want to hear from. So I'll be looking forward to it. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, Thurston, um, I, I want to go ahead and compliment you once again on uh, on By the Fire. Man, it's so good what you're doing. I enjoy, oh, I I enjoy everything that, that you cool. do. So thank you so much for continuing to do what you do and for taking the time to talk about it today too, man. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. I hope I can get to Louisville again soon. I hope you can. I once um, waited outside of Headliners, a place with a little crash plane in the background. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it, that was one of those moments uh, when I was younger that I waited and waited and waited out there. And you all did. You finally came out because there's no green room at Headliners. And, uh, and I got you to sign my CDs and everything. And, uh, Sweet. And I think Jim was with you guys at that yeah. point. And I remember having um, one of the, I think it was Evol, and he wouldn't sign it. He's like, no, I'm not on that. I can't sign yeah. it. But he drew a little smiley face on it for me. At least you didn't ask me to sign like a Marlboro pack or something. <laughs> no. Yeah, some people some people do that. Like, sign my dollar bill. I whatever like, oh, I have, right. Whatever is I have. Anything worse I can sign? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks so much. We'll see you around. Bye. Cheers. Bye. My thanks to Thurston Moore again. That new record is called By the Fire. You gots to check it out because it's good. Thanks to you for checking out this episode. Again, before you get out, I do hope you hit the subscribe button. Wherever you're listening from, wherever you're getting this from, you can uh, subscribe there as well as iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and again, YouTube, where there's a video version of this interview as well. Then after that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them, at Kyle Meredith. Please like and follow along in the appropriate places. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.